0: Hey, it's at Bitcoin Fi, and we are doing part two of John Coffey's interview. Again, remember that this was recorded back in February, late February, the day after the invasion of Ukraine. And if you have missed part one, I would encourage you to go back and get some context on what we talked about with the Federal Reserve, central banks, interest rates, inflation, just kind of a foundational knowledge. And in this part of the interview, we're going to get into John's perspective on Bitcoin and it's kind of interesting because we both see the same problem but we see a different solution where I see Bitcoin as a possible solution John does not and he's going to lay out his reasons why I think it's really good to not live in an echo chamber to not just go with confirmation bias and filter out anything that doesn't agree with you so I thought it was awesome to have John come on here and give his dissenting opinion on Bitcoin and why he doesn't like it and why it's not the answer. And with that, we'll get into the show. We kind of talked about this before we started recording, but it seems like with all the stuff going on with the Federal Reserve and the central banks, I see all the same frustrations with the problems that they've created being talked about by people in the crypto community specifically regarding Bitcoin as a hard asset and stuff like that. But it seems like you see the same problem, but we're seeing different solutions. So maybe we can shift a little bit and talk about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin and crypto are two different things. Like there's Bitcoin and there's everything else in my mind. Uh, We can talk about everything related to crypto, whatever you want to share. But, you know, why is Bitcoin not the answer? Why is crypto not the answer? And what are the answers then? What, I mean, it seems to me like you really like real estate, but I think one of the problems, at least if you're not getting a REIT or using like Fundrise or some other platforms that let you crowdfund real estate projects, it's pretty cost prohibitive for someone to get.
1: Maybe we just very quickly wrap up the real estate bit and go into the Bitcoin then. Um, okay. in, in terms of my own investment, you know, I've always tried to minimize the cost of investment. So therefore, if I can invest directly rather than through a fund manager or a else or anything else, and, uh, that's better for me. So I've always you know, bought uh, houses, basically, uh, directly myself, usually in an area that I know very well, more often close to where I live. Uh, but as you say, the unit cost, if you're a young person, you don't necessarily have the wherewithal to buy a house uh certainly not in your early years anyway so that's not available to you and you maybe have to buy a fund or some of the issues you mentioned uh, going to bitcoin and going to crypto in essence as you said it would you know a lot of the people who invest in bitcoin and in crypto do so for similar concerns uh as the ones we have expressed in this discussion about the way the central banks uh, have effectively diluted the value of the dollar, the way they have uh, indulged inflation and so on, uh, and people want to protect their investments. The difference between me and people who uh, support you know, Bitcoin and then support crypto as well is I don't see either of those two as a solution. Uh, My biggest problem is, you know, the lack of an intrinsic value going back to if we take the opposite, I I see real estate and Bitcoin or crypto as the opposite ends of the spectrum from an investment point of view. You know, uh, real estate is the hardest asset you can get. It has very clear intrinsic value, as we discussed. You can live in a house, you can rent it and so on. Uh, So you have a, a return. Crypto doesn't have any Intrinsic. There's no dividend, there's no automatic cash flow. To me, it's purely speculation. And uh, that's my biggest objection, but I have several other objections as well. I do understand the rationale behind the blockchain technology. I do understand that it has a number of, of merits in terms of kind of independence from interfering governments or central banks and so on. But I also believe some of those features uh, are creating a problem. I think the anonymity of it is, is a big problem because I think it attracts people who want to remain anonymous. And uh, a lot of those people are you know, criminals and drug dealers and money launderers, etc. Now, they also operate in the fiat currency world, but I think Bitcoin makes it easier for them. Uh, also, the cyber hackers and so on, all the kidnappers, all those kind of people are attracted to Bitcoin. Um, So, you know, I don't, I I also have serious reservations about the scarcity element that's flagged the whole time as a reason to own Bitcoin that there'll only ever be 21 million. My understanding is that that can be changed. And if it takes a majority of the investors, uh, that 21 million limit can be removed. Now, I'm, I'm told and I understand that in those circumstances, what you would have is not Bitcoin, but some competing product of Bitcoin. But either way, it's another increase in supply. And obviously, there's been a lot of money made by Bitcoin. Miners, when we reach 21 million, they can't make any money from mining Bitcoin anymore. So they would have a motivation certainly to um, maybe look to do something different. So therefore, I don't see that 21 million as a lot hard number. I would be a huge supporter of, for example, the gold standard when we had it, because that was a finite number. Uh, and it imposed massive discipline on politicians, for example, who couldn't just spend what they want and could just print more money to back, back it up. Uh, so that concept is one that I like. But I just don't see Bitcoin as the
0: solution, you know? Yeah, I can see what you're saying it's a stretch. Um, I think you're right. I mean, it would take a majority to change the Bitcoin hard cap of 21 million uh i do know that the miners i think they get still transaction fees but yeah maybe they would be incentivized because they want to get more to you know maybe there would be consensus one day that that's you know mining is not going to end until the year 2140 so this is a a long way out um before i could see anything changing i guess the incentive would be though it would be to not dilute it because if they do dilute it then they you know they're diluting the bitcoin they already have i guess but But I I mean, I get what you're saying. They're not.
1: But let me make one simple point then. Let me make one. You know, I always feel when you look at some concept, the best way is to take it to the end degree and see if it makes sense. So let's say, for example, I came out tomorrow and I mined one coin. And I said to you, right, that's one coin. I'm never going to make any more. You know, so in theory, if you go with the scarcity factor, that coin should be worth a fortune. But in in actual fact, it's worth nothing because it doesn't do anything, you know, it doesn't achieve anything, it doesn't generate a cash flow. So to me, scarcity on its own, it, it has to have a use and a genuine use. And I know Bitcoin supporters will label several different uses that they perceive it has. Uh, I suppose I don't perceive those uses to, to either exist or to be valuable. Uh, but I think scarcity on its own is meaningless. You know it it has to be a valuable thing that's scarce not just a thing that's scarce there's lots of things that are scarce there's lots of things that we don't produce anymore uh that we produced 30 or 40 years ago but we stopped producing them because they were no good you know so uh i just think scarcity on its own is not an argument you know
0: yeah that makes sense to me um so let me i just want to push one more thing what about scarcity effect with with a network of millions of people that can? You know, transmit that. I mean, I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of the use case with, uh, you know, the Freedom Convoy in Canada, how GoFundMe got political and refunded all the donations to the truckers. And, and, you know, we talked about the censorship resistance where governments can't meddle. I mean, I think there is a little bit of value to the network, like kind of Facebook, you know, it's free. What is the value of Facebook? I mean, it's really just a network of people that share ideas. And then they also mine your data and sell that to yeah, advertisers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but you know I think it, Facebook would not be valuable if there was a hundred people on it. You know, I, so I guess that's where I see it is the combination of the scarcity with a growing network. But the other I guess,
1: thing I, I suppose that disturbs me about Bitcoin and crypto is you know I've been investing for forty years in all kinds of different assets, and um, I have never come across a situation before as I have with Bitcoin and crypto. So in other words, the two things I would say is that every day I get, you know, people trying to sell me crypto, every day. That never happened to me with stocks, it never happened to me with property. Okay, when there's a boom on, you'll have more people trying to sell you stuff and so on. But Basically, they need crypto to continue to have buyers or else the whole thing falls apart. The other point was, the people who invest in crypto are different people from the people who invest in other assets for the most part. My experience is anytime I have a conversation about crypto with someone on LinkedIn, for example, this happens very often because I'm perceived, I'm rightly perceived as a critic of crypto and Bitcoin. Anytime I have a conversation, I look at a person's profile on LinkedIn and it's not the profile of a financial investor. It's almost never the profile of experience. So ask yourself, why are all the experienced financial investors who invest in every other asset who may be doing so for years not investing in crypto? To me, the people who are investing in crypto are typically technology people, or people who work in what I would describe as traditional job, non-financial jobs. So. They don't have the same, I'm not, there's some of them are incredibly smart people, I'm sure. And there's a lot of incredibly smart people in the technology world in particular, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're financially smart. And, you know, to me, if crypto is a great investment, there's lots of incredibly financially smart people that we know of, they would be investing it. And to me, they're not, and with good reason. And, you know, people will say that well, the banks are embracing crypto or a country like El Salvador, it's the lunatic countries that are doing it. It's not the kind of, if if there is such a thing as a sensible, well-managed country and so on, they're not doing it. And the embracing of the banks, if you lift the veil, what the banks are doing, the ones that are involved, are they're enabling their customers to buy it because they can make money out of it. They're not buying it themselves. Uh, And that's the thing, you know, banks will... Get involved with anything they can make a fast book from, and if they think there's enough uh, customer demand, they will set up all kinds of crypto services uh, that they can charge fees for and commissions on
0: and so on. You know. Yeah, those are all valid points. I, I don't disagree with what you have said. It is funny because on LinkedIn we see several financial advisors, and they they all tend to hate Bitcoin and crypto. So I get exactly what you're saying, and you know, part of me has wondered if that's because of unfamiliarity, maybe they feel threatened because Bitcoin has appreciated so much that it makes them look silly. I don't know. Or maybe they're mad they missed out. But Well, also- it has appreciated so
1: much, and I know people who've made a lot of money from Bitcoin, and good luck to them. But I mean, you know, the fact that like, I go back to the, you know, the, the Dutch tulip bulbs in the 1600s, where if you own tulips at the right time, you made a fortune. But then the day the music stopped, you were bankrupt. And uh, the fact that people made a lot of money out of Bitcoin to me doesn't really validate it. As you say, people may feel they look stupid for not having invested. Um, You know, I I just perceive it's more of a cult almost. I really do. And I think the same people that buy Bitcoin buy meme stocks, and the same people buy Tesla. It's the exact same people, and it's the same drivers. You know, it's, it's kind of this idea: I'll hold till I die, and I'll. Holding until you die is not investment. If you hold until you die, you never made a profit in, in the first place. To me, sound investment is trying to buy good assets at a cheap price and sell them when they get too expensive. And you know, that's not the, the, the thought process that goes through a crypto investor's mind. Their idea is screw the institutions, screw the hedge funds who've been ripping us off for years. And just, know, okay, there might be a lot of pleasure in that, and, and obviously some of that has happened. Uh, and I'm not, I wouldn't be a, a spokesman for the hedge funds in no way at all. Uh, and I'm very aware you know, of what they do and the sort of behavior that they get up to at times, which is completely uh, not right. But to me, it's not an investment strategy to screw somebody else. That's emotion. The best investors have no emotion. Uh, crypto is full of emotion. Meme stocks are absolutely full of emotion, you know.
0: The all valid points and you're making me actually feel uh, kind of good because I hate the mean stock stuff. I, uh, right. I absolutely despise it. But, you know, I, I mean, I still am bullish on Bitcoin personally. Um, yeah. And guess what? I've, I'm down. <laughs>
1: well, you know, you were up last year, I guess. And, and you know, you're down this year. It depends what, what happens longer term. Like I have my own view, but I mean, a lot of views I have are can be minority views. That doesn't bother me too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I will say, you know, I guess, uh, and don't take this the wrong way. I mean, but I think, I think the younger you are, maybe like, I still think Bitcoin could have some room to run. Personally, I, I don't really see a need for like my grandparents to to get it. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah, my, even yeah. my parents. Uh, if it does what people in the Bitcoin community think it's going to do, it might make sense to have hundred bucks worth. Uh, well, that, it, you know, that's that's essentially yeah. the bet that you're making.
1: And you you know, you know, rightly distinguish between Bitcoin and crypto, because one is investing in something that you might believe will be the payments technology of the future. Uh, and that to me is a straight bet. Either it'll happen or it won't. More than likely, it's not going to be something in between. It'll, it'll be like the internet. It'll either happen or it won't. And then uh, it'll evolve in a certain direction. But if it's the fundamental underpinnings or foundation for a thing will do well, whereas crypto is another thing altogether. And, um, you know, then the worst of all is the NFTs. That's just totally scandalous what's going on there, you know?
0: I tend to agree. Um, I think you're right on that for the most part. I mean, I can see there being some use cases for NFTs, but not what we're seeing today, really.
1: Well, there's just so many. The other thing I said, like you know, have people on every day trying to sell me crypto. Every day I read another crypto scandal about someone who's either hacked into an exchange and robbed a load of money, or some celebrity that's promoted some totally dubious coin that has no real value and everything's like a rug pull. It's every single day I read another story. You know, Ooh. and obviously we have, we have lots of criminality in in the fiat world as well. But no, I just think you know crypto. Gives massive opportunity to these people. That's the problem, and the anonymity and so on. They're less, and I think our regulators have let us down extremely badly in not, you know, uh, limiting what can be done and limiting people's ability to buy crypto and so on. You know.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't invest.
1: You can't invest in a hedge fund unless you're an accredited investor. You have to have a certain amount of income. You have to have a certain amount of financial experience, and so on. But you can be someone with zero experience and you can buy crypto, which is the riskiest thing of all. You know, yeah. where's, where's the protection from the SEC? From, you know, it just makes
0: no sense to me. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think people do it with Robinhood all the time, though. They short stuff. They don't know what shorting is, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree that too. They, they buy meme stocks. People are buying GameStop at 400 and now yeah. it's, you know, they put their retirement in yeah. because they thought yeah. it was something crazy, so. It is it is crazy. It is scary. And I, you know, that's really why I think your newsletter is good. It gives you a good foundation. That's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is if people are going to get into crypto, I want them to do it safely, I guess is what I'm, that's my yeah. whole goal yeah. because there are a lot of scams. There are a lot of hackers, there's phishing, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that can, you know, cost you a lot of money. But yeah, I mean, I think we have different, obviously we have different approaches, but I think we're taking the same thing, and, and and I'm a little bit more positive. You're a little bit more negative, and that's fine. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you on and you know kind of figure this out. But I do think, um, I mean, if everything went perfect with Bitcoin, I do think Bitcoin could be like a digital gold, and could be like a Bitcoin standard instead of a gold standard. But you know, a lot has to play out for that to happen. I guess. Is- yeah. One last question. Who do you follow and learn from? Who do you look to for guidance and advice uh, when it comes to investing? Um,
1: On LinkedIn, uh, the people I enjoy reading is uh, Roderick Mann, firstly, uh, Sanju Sudnani, Tully Urbach, They would be people that I would see uh, most frequently on LinkedIn. Uh, Clearly, because I um, respond to their content, I see most of it. Um I think that I read a lot. I love to read. I never read fiction. I always read nonfiction. I have read nearly all of the best investment books, you know, that, that, that are around. I've also read an awful lot about, you know, trading and big business kind of stories. And that helps me inform my views as well the likes of Warren Buffett uh, in particular, uh, you know, a lot of books about Buffett and Munger. Uh, things like, uh, if you've heard of, have you ever heard of Jesse Livermore? Uh, I have not. Jesse Livermore was, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the book. It might be Confessions of a Trader or something like that, but it's, um, I've read two different books about him. He was um, regarded as the best trader of all time and he traded back in the early 1900s, if I have memory serves me right. He became the equivalent of a billionaire twice over by trading, and he was regarded as one of the best guys for you know what they called at the time reading tape because all the stock prices came on like a ticker tape. He would have been shorting the market substantially. Uh, so he made two fortunes and then he lost both of them, unfortunately he ended up killing himself. So it's a strange story, but when you read the biography and the story about him, his understanding of, of markets and how markets work and how markets are impacted by human emotion in particular, it is very, very insightful. And, um, you know, I try to read, uh, you know, books about or by the top investors and the top traders of our time, you know, hedge fund managers and so on.
0: Uh, I find them very interesting. Awesome, yeah, I'll try and look up that book and I'll put it in the show notes, but.
1: Yeah, Google, Jesse Livermore, there's two or three books that I would highly recommend. And there's um, a book by Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor. I'm trying to remember the name of it now, something about investing, but it's, it's the best book on investment you would ever read, Warren Buffett would say the same. Um, I just can't, it might be something like Stock Market Analysis or something like that. I can't remember the exact name offhand.
0: I think I know the book you're talking about. I can't yeah. think of the exact title either. Yeah. But, yeah. Essentially,
1: if, if, you, if you believe in value investing, which I do, uh, that book is by far the best. And it would, it would reflect everything that Buffett himself does, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: If you read a lot about, you know, the way business works, the way the economy works, the, the way the top businessmen and the top investors and the top traders have worked over the years. I think you can learn a lot and then, you know, you look at current day markets and try and apply what you've learned, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and I appreciate you sharing your insights. Definitely a good overview of, you know, the central banks and the Federal Reserve and and why we're in the situation we're in. And I'll make sure that people are aware of where they can reach out to you on LinkedIn and also donate to the Naples shelter that you are affiliated with.
1: That's very kind of you, and thanks for having me on. I enjoy it.
0: Well, that wraps up another episode of the Bitcoin Five podcast. I hope you enjoyed part two of this interview and hearing John's thoughts on why Bitcoin is not the answer. Um, do with that what you will. It's something I'm still learning about myself with Bitcoin, you know. And this is one of the things that I try to do with this podcast. It's kind of a fine line to walk. I can totally get why. Bitcoin is everything to some people and I can also see a lot of the criticisms that have some merit possibly. To me it is the biggest asymmetric bet that I could make and that's why I've chosen to allocate to Bitcoin. To me I just see it as how long can the traditional financial system go with huge loads of sovereign debt with so much deficit spending like at what point does it just Fall apart, and I think Bitcoin is maybe that way out. Um, I saw a post the other day that you know you don't buy Bitcoin to get rich. You buy Bitcoin to cast a vote to opt out of the system and into a new system. So again, this is all just do your own research, figure out what's right for you. My perspective is that having one to ten percent of Your portfolio, your net worth, or your income going into it may be a wise choice depending on how it plays out in the future. You have to make that for yourself because this is not financial advice. I can see the argument for having no allocation. I can see the argument for having all-in allocation. So I'm just trying to take a measured approach. That's my whole goal is just to educate on a measured, reasonable approach because chances are there's a lot of people that are kind of crypto-curious. And I'm just trying to help those people get in safely and securely if they want to, just so they have a resource they can go to and learn about it. Hopefully that makes sense. And remember that financial independence is doable. It takes work. It takes smart choices. It takes a lot of planning. But it is doable, and I hope that I can provide some more value to you over time. And let me know if you have any questions, any way that I can help you. And with that, I'll be back with you soon.